This is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Emily. And I'm Kyle, and this is the week of June 26, 2023. Before we get into the Jeopardy episodes, let's check in with our normal human selves. Emily, how are you doing? I'm a normal human. I'm, I'm not a normal <laughs> Just, human. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're uh, all normal weird, and not. Weird in our own ways, and that's normal. I'm good. Let's see. It was the first week of my kids' summer camp. They're out of school. They're in summer camp. That's great. Love that. It's really long days and they come home so tired and it's so lovely. It's so great. (laughs) And my stepson was here for a week, just a week this summer. Normally we get him for longer, but he's got like, he's in college. He's got a summer job and stuff. So we had him for a week. We played a lot of Seven Wonders, the board game. And then today we also played some Morals, the like mushroom collecting uh, card game. I've heard of that. Yeah, it's a fun one. And now... So for a little bit, we had five people in the house, including one teenage boy and one preteen boy. And now everyone except me has flown down to my in-law's house for a week. It's amazing. I I love that for you. Thank you. (laughs) This is so dumb to be like, I cleaned the kitchen. I cleaned the kitchen and I was like wiping down the counter and I was like, this is going to stay pretty much clean until I get it dirty. And... It was like a revelation. Cleaning while you have little kids is like shoveling the driveway in a blizzard and mm-hmm. an empty house. And, you know, I'll miss them. But it's going to be a very lovely first couple days, at least. Yes. Yeah. Hopefully I'll find some things to do that are fun other than wipe down the counters. But, you know, we're just we're just a few hours in now. So we'll get there. <laughs> Still in the honeymoon phase. Yeah. How about you? How are you doing? I'm all right. My kids have also gone to summer camps this week. Although the younger one, she was too young to go to the one that the older one was in. Mm-hmm. So hers was like two hours. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. like 1130 to 130. And it, mm-hmm. so like it was fine. <laughs> she had a good time. It gave us a little bit of time to be like, all right, I have one eat, task eat to complete. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, it was, it's like, you know, three minutes from our house. So it's not like the travel time was an issue. Okay. All right. That helps. Yeah. So, I mean, there was that. And like, yeah, she had a good time. It got her out of the house and we did things. And yeah, I spent way too many hours of this week trying to, I'm going to talk about something very niche for like website, you know, designers and app developers. There's this like content management framework system thing called Drupal that it's one way that websites are and you know like web applications are made and i'm trying to learn it because i have like a job opportunity that's like i know a guy who knows a guy who can like possibly get me in if i have this drupal certification and so i'm trying to do this thing and i can't even get it to fully install i have spent so many hours because it's not just one program it's a whole bunch of different programs and you don't just install them. Like you download the installer from Google Chrome and you click the button and then you say yes. And it's installed. You go through the command line and you put it in, like you call things from different websites. It is a convoluted experience. And every time I try to do it, something has gone wrong. 
but I've been following the instructions. So it's just something in like the database or my computer or whatever that I've had to fix. I've crashed my laptop twice because the very first step of trying to install the first thing just gave me a blue screen. And like a week ago, I was like, yeah, this course says it'll be 10 hours and then I'll take the certification test. That'll be great. I have spent more than 10 hours and I haven't even actually made anything yet. I have just been trying to troubleshoot the installation of this stupid thing. Oh no, that's how it's miserable. But like I have the sunk cost fallacy one. I'm like, I'm I'm so close to figuring it out now. Like I, I have gotten today extremely close. And two, this is like the first real opportunity I've had that I've been like, I think I might be able to get an interview if I can just get this thing done. Yeah. So Ugh. anyway, oh, I, <laughs> oh man, it's a good thing that my study is like away from kind of the rest of the house because I've been very angry, very loudly. Mm. Anyway, the rest of my week has been fine. But it is time for Jeopardy talk. So let's talk of Jeopardy. Yes, Jeopardy. On Monday, June 26th, we had the contestants. Caroline Gullick, a realtor from Reno, Nevada. Ryan Clary, a cheesemonger from Chattanooga, Tennessee. <laughs> and Donna Maturi, a librarian from Columbus, Ohio, whose one-day cash winnings total $17,400. Jeopardy round categories are First Lady's Rhyme Time. Here comes the summer. Seven-letter words. United Kingdom election constituencies. Lovely Rita and Meter Maid. Mm-hmm. All the contestants really wanted to stay away from United Kingdom election constituencies, which for whatever reason, I assumed that referred to like, I don't know, like interest groups of voters. I don't know. I can't I can't really justify why I thought this was going to be really hard, but I shared their opinion that it was going to be really hard. And then it was about the constituencies. I think in this case, you might be able to like replace it approximately with the word districts. Yeah. Yeah. Like what? What area do they represent? Where are they? Yeah, from? which is a constituency, right. you know. But like, I think I think I was thinking of like American counterparts, like you know, dairy farmers or like the AARP or like whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was like, I barely understand how that all works, and you know, in the U.S., right? Like these politicians trying to appease these various groups, right. uh, meet their various needs and requests. But yeah, it was much more straightforward than that. Right. Like the $400 was, you can catch some Grand Slam tennis action as well as election results from this place in the outer boroughs of London. I mean, it's tennis. You're going to say Wimbledon. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The clues there were, here's something that you probably know, whether it's actually like British knowledge or not. So. Yeah. The $200 level of First Lady's rhyme time, Mrs. Obama's chimes. Caroline could have actually maybe I don't know maybe she did sing it like mm. Hell's Bells the ACDC mm. song but if she had she probably would have gotten told to redo it to avoid copyright infringement you know what I mean yep mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah that is kind of a bummer <laughs> yeah there's so many opportunities so many yeah. great opportunities mm-hmm. tough break for Caroline, especially at the thousand dollar level of meter made, it was a breeze for John Thomas Romney Robinson to make a cup style one of these in the 1800s. A similar design is still used. They had pictures of the original and contemporary 
versions, I guess. Caroline rang in and said, what's an anometer? And that was incorrect. Ryan followed up with, what is a barometer? Caroline almost had it. It's not an anometer. It's an anemometer, which I would not have been able to get close. No, no. I was impressed that she was as close as she was. Yeah, she clearly like knew the thing. She just didn't have mm-hmm. all of the letters. Yeah. Daily Double number one is in United Kingdom election constituencies at the $1,000 level. Caroline finds it at the very last pick. Sort of panics about how much to wager of her 4,600. She's in the lead with Donna trailing at 3,800 and Ryan at 2,800. She decides to wager 1,600. And she gets the clue bordering Dover and Folkestone and Hythe. This district on England's East Coast has a few ancient tales to tell. Tales is in quotation marks. That's the giveaway. She figures that out. It is Canterbury. Hmm. And at the end of the Jeopardy round, now Caroline's at 6,200 with Donna and Ryan right where we left them before the last clue. And the double Jeopardy categories are names of the 1990s, war of the words, scientists, classical music, TV, and crossword clues, P. And Ryan... The cheesemonger predictably went to the classical music category first. (laughs) It makes sense. And he did well. Yeah, he did. Is there a cheesemonging and classical music connection? Or are we just... I'm just saying it makes sense. Yeah. It's it's the vibe. If you're a cheesemonger, you probably have a certain appreciation for the finer things. The finer things. Yeah. Okay. I see it. I see it. So. Yeah. Yeah, didn't you... surprise me. The very first pick is Daily Double number two. It's at the $1,200 level of classical music. He just snipes it right away. He is at 2800 Don is at 3800 The scores are the same. He wagered 2000 <laughs> We just said the scores. And he got the clue. Tan Dun, an Oscar winner for this 2000 Ang Lee film, recently composed an operatic work called Buddha Passion. And he gets it correct with what is Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Mm-hmm. And then he went down to the $1,600 level, and he knew that Vivaldi was the father of the concerto, well-known for writing 500 concertos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then he gets the $2,000 level. This composer created a musical portrait of Chuck Close. Chuck painted a portrait of him titled Phil, and he gets that one. It's Philip Glass. Philip Glass. Yeah. Ira Glass's cousin. Is that actually true? Yes, it's actually true. Oh, nice. Yeah. I like Philip Glass. I enjoy, I enjoy Philip Glass's music. Mm-hmm. War of the Words was all about feuds or, you know, enmities, fights in, in literary circles. The $800 level, not the Pickwick, but the Garrett Club was the site of conversations that caused a falling out between Thackeray and this author. Ryan got it. It's Dickens. Um, Dickens. Yeah. I didn't know about the uh, falling out with Thackeray. Hmm. but i didn't know uh, yeah but pickwick if you remember when i talked about the dickens novels pickwick papers is one to remember so Mm -hmm. not the pickwick with the extra clue there in case you're not familiar with the ins and outs of dickens's social circle which i am not (laughs) i i imagine most people aren't he's good friends (laughs) with rizzo the rat though right yes (laughs) i mean we all know that though (laughs) yes so over the course of double jeopardy Donna starts building and just gets a pretty decent lead. And so by the time we get to clue number 30, where Donna 
uncovers daily double number three at the $2,000 level of scientists. She is at 19,800 with Ryan at 11,600 and Caroline at 7,400. I don't think she loves this category. She wagers just a thousand. I think it's worth going a little bigger here because she were to wager 3401 or more and get it correct she can get to a lock game on the last clue and if she misses with a wager that size she'll still have a lead so a little bigger here would have been wise i think but anyway, she wagers a thousand. She gets the clue when Tycho Brahe died in 1601. His protege, this astronomer, succeeded him as imperial mathematician. She tries who is Galileo, but it's Johannes mm-hmm. Kepler. Uh, so mm-hmm. that smaller wager did minimize her losses. True. Maybe she correctly surmised that she was not doing not so case. well in this category. <laughs> yeah, um, possible. Yeah. Yeah. So at the end of the double jeopardy round, Donna is down to 18,800. Scores are the same as they just were. Ryan's at 11,600. Caroline's at 7,400. And the final Jeopardy category is 20th century events. And the clue is, it was immediately reported. The flames are still leaping, maybe 30, 40 feet from the ground. The entire 811 feet length of this. Mayim didn't do it in that voice. It might have helped. It might have. I don't know. My transatlantic kind of comes and goes. Yeah. Oh, uh, two of them got it, though. <laughs> yeah. Caroline... Missed it. She just wrote what is question mark. She had no no guess and wagered all 7,400. Ryan got it correct with what is the Hindenburg and wagered 10,222. And Donna also got it correct with what is the Hindenburg disaster. And she wagered 4,000, which was enough to get her up to 22,800 and mm-hmm. win her second date. That's right. So on Tuesday, we have the contestants Chris Ban, an oral and facial surgeon from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Aaron Gold, a teacher from Aurora, Colorado. Woo! Yeah, that's your town. That's your city. That's, that's my city. Yeah. And Donna Maturi, a librarian from Columbus, Ohio, whose two-day cash winnings total 40200 And the Jeopardy round categories are some thoughts on the book, only fans, getting a little spicy <laughs> for a family show, Australian universities, what are you made of? Starts with Z, and it came from New Jersey. Only fans. What are you doing, Jeopardy writers? It it's about... only it, it's only for people who know. Though. It's that's true. It's not like kids are going to see that and be like, "Huh, I should ask what that is." Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was about like fans of musical acts and sports teams and stuff. Mm-hmm. Lady Gaga has at least three tattoos honoring her biggest fans called these. Donna got that. Those are little monsters at the $400 level. That's what I call my kids too. (laughs) How many tattoos do you have honoring the little monsters? Precisely zero. I have no tattoos. My body was crafted perfectly. (laughs) I have no tattoos because I am too indecisive. (laughs) That's another thing. It's like... Even thinking of me five years ago, I was still an adult, but even then, would I have made a choice I like now? I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. We learned at the $600 level of It Came From New Jersey that perhaps the origin of saltwater taffy involves the ocean flooding a candy shop in Atlantic yeah. City. We, it might be true. It might be. <laughs> an origin story involves... 
Right. Yeah. I mean, it is New Jersey. You know how they are. Yeah. The $800 level of What Are You Made Of was a triple stumper. Thor Heyerdahl's Kontiki raft. Logs of this wood. Mm. Don't hazard what is Norwegian wood. <laughs> I like that. Chris, it's good. guess what is teak? I guess that's closer, but it's balsa. That was a big, yeah. big part of the big part of the story. Mm-hmm. I didn't see anybody fussing about this, but the $400 level of what are you made of had a picture. And then the clue was just the object seen here. And if you are seeing that on your TV screen, like it blows all the way up. Right. Mm. But just a reminder that the contestants are seeing it like on a monitor across the stage. Across so, the stage. Yeah. It's a good 30, 40 feet. Yeah, so Donna rang in and said, what is 3D print? And that's not correct. Aaron got the rebounded Legos or Lego bricks. And sometimes it's just hard to like make out exactly what you're seeing over there, right? We've talked about this before on the podcast, but it's been a while, right? Like if somebody takes a guess where you're like, how could they not recognize, you know, this person or that thing, right? Well, they're not yeah. seeing it as clearly as you are on your TV. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Daily Double number one is in the Starts with Z category at the $1,000 level. Pick number 20, Donna locates it. She's at 4,800. Aaron's at 1,800. Chris is at 200. She wagers just 1,000. Gets the clue. DNA research has shown that this California red wine grape may have come from an ancient source in Croatia. And she gets correct with what is Zinfandel. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I guess it's a red wine grape. I, does rosé count as a red? I... There's red yeah. Zinfandel also. Yeah, I guess the, yeah. my only experience with it is my grandma drinking. Yeah, I think you call like the like the rosé yeah. Zinfandel. I think you, well, no, it's a rosé, but I remember hearing it called white Zinfandel. Yeah. Anyway, I'm not worried about it. I'll never drink it. <laughs> at the end of the Jeopardy round, Don is up to 5,200. Aaron's at 6,000, and Chris is in the red at negative 600. We get the double Jeopardy categories: country, please, war films. Banking ABCs with each of those letters in their own quotation marks. Word Origins, 2001, and A Space Odyssey. I thought some of these Word Origins ones gave too much of the related word. Mm -hmm. The $800 level diplomat Jean Nico introduced tobacco to France in 1560, and this chemical bears his name. That's nicotine. Yep. We, you, they gave us N-I-C-O-T. Gave you, gave you the hard part. <laughs> yeah. Thought that was excessive, mm -hmm. in my opinion. I mean, yeah, it was only 800 At least it wasn't like the you know, yeah. $2,000 clue. But, yeah. but I, I agree. It was like, yeah, I guess. Mm -hmm. If you took the name out, I think you could still figure it out from tobacco. But Yeah, this addictive chemical in tobacco bears the name of a French diplomat, right? You could rewrite that without using Nico's last name, make it a harder clue. Right. Yeah. Similarly, the 400, but I mean, you know, it's 400. It's fine. It's supposed to be easy. A couple of sounds changed places and the German village of Selters became this fizzy liquid. That's seltzer. Mm -hmm. That's just a buzzer contest. That's just who can bring the signaling device fastest. There's yep. Much, you know, sure. Yeah. They had a lot of trouble with the Space Odyssey category. The yeah. $400 clue was the only one correctly answered. The 800 captured by the James Webb Space Telescope. Here's a spectacular image of this planet with Triton shining above. Oh, and they showed a picture. It looks a little. The James Webb gives you a slightly different view. 
than previous pictures of Neptune, but it, I mean, it's still yeah. pretty clearly Neptune and Triton should also point you to Neptune mm-hmm. Yeah, as well. Mm-hmm. But then they missed a variable star, like pulsar kind of star. Skylab from 1973 to 1974. And Eris, the dwarf planet. Mm-hmm. Named for the Greek goddess of strife. Yes. Did you remember some of those? All of those? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I did. Mm-hmm. I, I had trouble coming up with Skylab because I was like, Mir is not the US. What's the other one? And I always get it like, what's the in Terminator? Skynet. I always get Skynet and Skylab mixed up. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Daily Double number two is in War Films at the $1,600 level. Pick number seven, Chris finds it. He's at 1800 with Donna at 6400 and Aaron at 7200 He can wager up to 2000 He says, let's do it. Let's make it a true Daily Double. I don't know if he realized he was wagering less than the maximum <sighs> there. Mm-hmm. Bless. Happens. Happens yeah. to the best of us. Yeah, I think I think that just got away from him. So he he makes it a true daily double wagering only eighteen hundred, and gets the clue. The title of this nineteen sixty two film starring John Wayne refers to June sixth, nineteen forty four. Clocking in at almost three hours, the title's accurate, and he gets it correct. It's the longest day. Mm-hmm. It looks like he was guessing a little, but you know he got it. It was a yeah, good guess. Good guess. And Daily Double number three is in Banking ABCs at the $1,600 level. Pick number 24. Erin finds it. She is at 10400 Donna's at 8800 Chris is at 8000 She wagers 2000 Gets the clue A. This word, meaning to pay off a debt in installments, comes partly from, D, from Latin for dead. And she guesses what is annuity, but it is amortize. Mm-hmm. Am, am, amortize. Amortize. Yeah. Amortize. Oh, yeah. Amortize. Yeah. Interestingly, the triple stumper right before that at the $2,000 level of word origins was for the word superannuated, which mm. I wonder whether that kind of primed her on annuity. At the end of Double Jeopardy, we're very close here. Donna's at 8,400. Aaron's at 7,600. Chris is at 8,000. The final Jeopardy category is 19th century literature. And the clue is, in 1896, new spider species were named for a wolf, a panther, and a snake from a work published two years earlier by this man. Aaron tries, who is Robert Louis Stevenson? Well, she she writes Stevenson, but, you know, either way, not correct. Uh, Wouldn't it be a bummer if it were correct? And she were missing one N. Mm -hmm. She's wagered. 2000 which drops her down to 5600 we go to chris next he came up with it he has who is rudyard kipling he has wisely crossed out rudyard which was correct but he didn't need it and if it hadn't been correct it would have sunk the correct last name so he's wagered 5000 strategy from second place here is a little difficult because because you're so close. Yeah, and you kind of have to decide whether you're going to wager big enough to cover an all-in from third place or whether you're going to try and stay above first place if they drop below you. I haven't mm. I haven't mathed all the math here, but yeah. Yeah, so he's he's correct. He moves up to 13,000. Donna tried who is Vern and I wonder whether having around the world in 80 days in the Jeopardy mm-hmm. round might have kind of planted Vern in her mind in a way that might have been distracting right. um, yeah 
Anyway, she wagered 6,000 and drops down to 2,400. And so Chris is the new champion going into Wednesday. Yeah, sadly, we don't get another teacher from Aurora, Colorado. Yeah, sorry. It's okay. So on Wednesday, we have the contestants Brian White, a senior regulatory compliance analyst originally from Santa Maria, California. Vic Goyle, a lawyer from Vienna, Virginia. And Chris Ben, an oral and facial surgeon from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, who just won $13,000. And we have the Jeopardy categories get qualified. The name of a dame. Pledge of Allegiance words. Google Easter eggs. Open door. And policy. $2,000 level of qualified was a triple stumper. You can get up close and personal with the real deal at Lone Pine Koala Sanctuary outside of Brisbane in this Aussie state. Nobody tried. Nobody even tried. It's Queensland. Queensland. Yes. Go back to my Australia deep dive. Yes, they should have listened. Mm-hmm. And just next to that, the $1,000 clue of name of the dame. In 2019, the queen said, you're the one that I want to be a dame. You being this British-born and Australian-raised singer. Which I believe I also talked about Olivia Newton-John. I think you asked about her in the quiz. I believe I did. Yeah. Yeah. I was a little sad. At the $400 level of Google Easter eggs, they didn't know how to Google search for what the answer to life, the universe, and everything gives you this number. Brian tried what is 37. Hmm. It's 42. Yeah. Yeah, it's a reference to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I was really surprised. I mean, you only get three people up there and maybe they don't know. But like... I just feel like that is a trivia thing that just uh, just a large cross section of of us just know. Like I've never read the book. Yeah. But I know for certain that 42 is the answer to life, the universe and everything. Right. And that you should always bring your you don't Towel. know this. Yes, that's the one. But yeah, that's also that's also a hitchhiker's guide bit. Mm. That just makes me think of South Park. <laughs> I don't I I'm not sure I'm I know the scout. Tally? The, oh, the character oh, Tally. Oh no! Yes, no. I know. I do know the character Tally. Oh, don't forget um, to bring a towel. <laughs> that was an excellent Tally. Thank you. I'm You're from welcome. Colorado. Yeah. I have to know my South Park. There's a, I, I guess, a conspiracy theory. I don't know, or just a theory. Tally was introduced entirely three episodes beforehand, just so that they could make a Tally ban joke. Oh no! Yeah, that that checks out. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know if they were thinking that far ahead or if it just occurred to him. Yeah. We had a good miss and rebound at the $200 level of the name of the dame. Her house was alive with the sound of music. As a child, she possessed a four octave range and could sing notes only dogs could hear. Brian tried, who is Maria Von Trapp? Great guess. Great. Great guess. Yeah. Incorrect, though. Julie Andrews, who played Maria Von Trapp. Right. I don't think Maria Von Trapp was a dame. Yeah. I mean, she was like a dame. You she know, was a problem. 1920s sense, but not <laughs> in like the named by the queen kind of yeah. thing. She was a um, liberty gibbet. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I'm just going to keep making sound of music jokes. Maybe I'll take us to the Daily Double instead. Maybe. maybe. Daily Double number one's at the $800 level of open door. Chris finds it. Pick number 14. He is at 1400 with Brian at 4000 and Vic at 200. He makes it a true daily double, which this time it is the maximum he can do. And he gets the clue. Legend says the emperor door at the Hagia Sophia was made from the timbers of this mentioned in Genesis. He tries what is acacia. Reasonable guess. That's a biblical 
would. Sure. Yeah. Is this is this his? What was he the one who guessed teak the previous day? He was. Uh, right. no. Yeah. He, All right, he knows so, his wood. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But Noah's Ark is what they were looking for here. So he draws back to zero, but that's fine. We're middle of the Jeopardy round. At the end of the round, Brian's made it up to 6,600. Chris is at 1,200. Vic is at 600. And the double Jeopardy categories are Geography B with B in quotation marks, Plays and Playwrights, Constantinople, Random Access Memories, Animated Movie Characters, and Prefixes. Yeah, which we just had the Hagia Sophia question. Yes. And now we yeah. have the Constantinople. And then Constantinople category. Yeah. They didn't know the, I would say top two, and now I'm thinking maybe top, they're two of the top three, like attractions of Istanbul, the Hagia Sophia, and then the $2,000 level of Constantinople. Today, a museum, this fabled palace was built by Sultan Mehmet II and has a name meaning cannon gate that is Topkapi Palace. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I always get the P's and the K mixed up when I'm trying to just pull it from my brain. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a familiar word. English yeah. word. Yeah, Brian really knew his plays. I was just gonna say that. Yes, yeah, yes, he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew Three Tall Women was the third Pulitzer for Edward Albee. Very nice. Good job. Yes. Yeah, Chris got the four hundred dollar level there. Edward Albee was at the sixteen hundred dollar triple stumper, and then Brian got the eight hundred and twelve hundred. What about? The Tracy Let's Play Superior Donuts, which I had not heard of. Maybe I should have. Maybe that's a big gap. I've, I've that heard I that title. I don't yeah. I don't know the mm-hmm. play. But. Yeah. And then the 1200 asked about the gravelly voiced playwright and actor who rose to fame in the 1980s with his Torch Song trilogy. That's Harvey Firestein. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we'll get to the 2000 later. Yes, um, we will. Yeah. We did not get all the clues in this round, which hasn't happened in a while. Yeah. I'm not sure why. Yeah. I was wondering like how they were going to kind of level the animated characters, uh, animated movie characters category. Cause like, are we going to go with like really obscure characters from well-known movies or like how, how are we doing this? Mm. And I thought the way they did it was clever. Although I had never heard of the $2,000 level. So. I don't know if it was super obscure or if I just didn't know of it. Yeah. Yeah. The $400 level asked about Wally, the $800 about Kung Fu Panda, the $1,200 level asked about the monkey from The Lion King, whose name means friend in Swahili. That's Rafiki. So, like, familiar movie, but maybe a name you'll have a harder time pulling. The $1,600 level, this mm. is a throwback. Sarah, Littlefoot, yeah. Spike, Petrie, and Ducky try to reunite with their families in this 1988 film set long, long ago. It's The Land, the Before, Land Before Time. Time. I love The Land Before Time. Yeah. The beginning's sad, though. It is. Sad. But that that was, of all the movies, I think that was one when I was little that, like, watch on repeat. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. Every kid has, like, that movie for yeah. a phase where they're just like, I'm going to watch this again and again and again. Yeah. Yep. Land Before Time was yeah, mine. Yeah, that, that was one for me for a while, too. And then the $2,000 level, the musically gifted title trio of sisters in this 2003 French film help rescue a kidnapped cyclist. Nobody tried that. It is the triplets of Belleville. And I hadn't heard of it. I think I've seen that. Really? Now that we're talking about it, but they're not, I think they're not girls. Like, I think they're grown women. Huh. I think. 
if I'm picturing the right thing, but maybe I'm not. I don't, it, it's just weird. It's weird. It's French. I think I've seen the triplets of Belleville now that I'm thinking yeah. about it. Help to rescue a kidnapped cyclist. Yeah, because yes, I'm suddenly having a flashback to watching that movie. Huh. And I don't okay. remember a lot about it, but like, I remember it being very French. Yes. <laughs> very French. Really? It was nominated for two Academy Awards. Um, mm-hmm. It was nominated for Best Animated Feature, making it the first PG-13 animated film to be nominated in that category and for Best Original Song. Mm. So, okay. Seems like it's a gap for me more than just like, you know, oh, too obscure for anyone to know that. Yeah. God, man, what? Now, oh, this is going to bug me now because it's like coming back slowly and in small pieces i'll have to look it up and remind myself yeah daily double number two is in the play and playwrights at the two thousand dollar level brian finds it pick number 14 he's at twelve thousand six hundred chris is back at thirty six hundred fix at eighteen hundred he's way ahead he wagers three thousand gets a clue this irish playwright who won the 1969 nobel prize in literature wrote in both english and french and he gets correct with who is samuel beckett Mm mm-hmm and Daily Double number three is at the $1,600 level of Constantinople. Brian finds this one as well. Pick number 20. At this point, he's at 18000 with Chris at 3600 and Vic at 1800 He wagers just 2000 this time. You know, we're getting to the point where wagering too big could be an error, right? Because he's far enough ahead that it's going to be very difficult to catch him. He gets the clue in 532 AD, blue and green fan groups of this type of racing rioted in Constantinople. He, I think, doesn't really understand kind of where to go with this. Uh, He says, what are vandals? Uh, They were looking for chariot racing. Yes. Yeah. Fan groups of this type of racing, chariot racing. Mm -hmm. That's what they were looking for there. Yep. So at the end of the double jeopardy round, Chris is at 4,800, Vix at 4,200, and Brian is in a locked position at 18,400. Final jeopardy category is the medical world, and the clue is he created a chest drain valve that aided breathing in wounded soldiers in Vietnam, but is better known for a life-saving measure. Everyone got it. This is who is Heimlich. Vic wrote, who is Heimlich and Hi Mom. Which hi mom is incorrect, so he shouldn't have been kind of clear. Wagered four thousand. Chris wrote who is Heimlich wagered thirty seven fifty to stay above Vic, and Brian wrote who is Heimlich wagered seventeen thirty. Not sure the significance of that number, but I'm sure it means something. Yeah. And yeah. So that brings us to Thursday. The contestants are Tanisa Santiago, an American Sign Language and English interpreter from Berkeley, California, Alicia Kornman, an assistant director from Durham, North Carolina, and Brian White, senior regulatory compliance analyst, originally from Santa Maria, California, whose one-day cash winnings total 20130 And the Jeopardy round categories are at the farmer's market, fun with airport codes, lit Paris, pride of the museum, 21st century television and I before E double E each correct response will contain an I and then later double E. Yes. As in indeed. As in indeed, indeed. I guess the thousand dollar level of 21st century television. It's okay that it was at the thousand dollar level because of kind of the direction you had to go. Maybe. The office was set at the Scranton branch of this paper company. Alicia got it. Of course, that is Dunder Mifflin. 
that feels obvious mm-hmm. to me. But I guess like calling the name of the paper company is maybe right. not the most straightforward. Right. I mean, you have to have watched the show. You probably yeah. wouldn't remember Dunder Mifflin mm-hmm. if you haven't, if you don't yeah. know the show. Yeah. Airport codes. <laughs> Airport codes. Airport it's just codes. A <laughs> trivia thing. People Airlines, love airports. Airport codes. Why? Why? It's okay. I mean, yeah. it's okay. We can do it. It's fine. But yeah, it's a list of things to memorize. But yeah, the eight hundred dollar level was a triple stumper. Going straight to hell, H E L. Then you're on a direct flight to this northern European country. Brian guessed what is Helsinki, which of course is not a country, mm-hmm. but no one else went for it they must have all been thinking helsinki and when he said helsinki they were like well i don't know i, I yeah. think i think it's probably what it was because that's finland of course mm-hmm. yeah the 800 level of a farmer's market i got a handmade soap a sponge and some of these scrubbers whose name is fun to say they showed a picture those are loofahs and <laughs> i i mean i just like the word anyway but i remember there was a pearls before swine comic strip where pig is like i don't remember the reason but he's like describing the german air force except he's calling them the dreaded lufa <laughs> instead of the luftwaffe <laughs> and it, like that just sticks in my head anytime i hear lufa i that's, I, funny. that's what i picture that's great yeah pride of the museum 800 was a triple stumper this london museum with two first names, is renowned for its collection of decorative arts. Nobody two tried it. It's, it's the Victoria and Albert Museum. Victoria and Albert. Yeah, I think if you don't know that there's a museum called the Victoria and Albert, you'd probably hear two first names and be like, what are <laughs> Bobby you Bobby ta- Sue. <laughs> a museum with two first names? I'm sorry? Yes. <laughs> yeah, the museum of Ricky Bobby? Like, I don't, what are you getting at? Yeah. Fair enough. The Victoria and Albert's a pretty cool museum, though. You know, if I would, so, anybody's looking for a museum recommendation in London from 20 years ago. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I remember really thinking it was very cool. If for when I ever get to London, I will check it out. Yeah. Daily Double Number One is in the Lit Paris category at the $600 level. Tanisa finds it. She's at 3,000. Brian's at 2,600. Alicia's at zero. She would just a thousand, gets clue. This enduring title character was introduced in an 1881 magazine called Journal per i Bambini. And she guesses who is Puck, which, I, you know, it's better to guess not something than nothing, but it's Pinocchio. Mm-hmm. Yep. The Journal per i Bambini, Journal for Children, I, I guess. guess. Yeah. So, at the end of the Jeopardy round, Brian is at 4,600, Alicia's at 3,000, Tanisa's at 4,000. And the Double Jeopardy categories are Historic Shorts, World L, in quotation marks, which is like world I don't know. The Hippocratic Oaf, <laughs> nice. <laughs> the Law, Writing, colon, Music, and Before and After People. Mm-hmm. Gotta shout out the $1,200 clue of writing music. The book, Go Ahead in the Rain is an homage to this musical tribe and its late member Fife Dog. That is A Tribe Called Quest. Alicia Mm -hmm. got that. If you haven't listened to A Tribe Called Quest, take some time. It is worth some time. Yeah. Hmm. It's quality music. Even if you're not necessarily into like hip hop or anything like that, it's yeah. 
Tribe yeah. Called Quest, important, important. And, okay. And good music. I I will do that. It's easier than going to London. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, fair. Well, Brian had a solid guess at the $400 level of before and after people. Gunslinger William Bonney, who rapped and rolled his way to hits like Cowboy and Redneck Paradise. He figured out the first half, but then, you know, was struggling for the second. He tried Who is Billy the Kid Cuddy. Mm-hmm. Not not quite the vibe with Cowboy and Redneck no. Paradise, but Billy the Kid Rock is what they were yeah. looking for here. Yeah. Kid Cuddy. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. They did not do well with the historic shorts. No. They got the $400 level. Kurtos, the nickname of Robert, Duke of Normandy and son of this conqueror, meant something like short stockings. That was William the Conqueror. They got that one. But then they did not get any of the others. They didn't get Pep in the short at the $800 level. Yeah. If I had been on the stage, I would have absolutely rung in and said Pippin, like the musical, not mm-hmm. Pepin. And whoops. <laughs> Although you might have gotten I might have gotten away with Pippin. You might have, because I, th- I don't know. I could be making this up, but I think he might have also been referred to as Pippin at huh, certain okay. times, but I'm not sure. I could be totally wrong. Could be conflating that with something else. They missed... Philippe, or Felipe, King of Spain, Victor Emmanuel III of Italy. And then I love this. I I don't know why I love short, like, tiny wars so much. Like, obviously, they're wars Mm -hmm. and they're bad. But, like, historically, the $2,000 clue. The about two-day reign of Sultan Khalid bin Bargash of this Tanzanian island included a short war against the British Empire. And that's Zanzibar. Not that I'm, like, super into, you know, British colonialism or anything, but, like... The thought of like a two-day war is is always really interesting to me. Yeah, agreed. Daily Double Two is in the hypocritic oaf at $1,200 level. It's pick number 21. Alicia finds it. She's at 6,200 with Brian at 12,600 and Tanisa at 4,000. She wagers just 1,000 and she gets the clue. Pope Alexander VI, the member of this family, seemed to eschew the Bible with his mistresses, children, and murders of rivals. All of those things are in the Bible. In the Bible. Anyway, she tries what is Medici. Not a bad guess, but she should have listened to to, to deep, dive deep dive about, about this the, exact man mm-hmm. uh, yeah the borgias is what exactly. we were looking for here yeah the borgias yes. yeah yeah alexander sextus yes oh, so she drops down a little bit that was a good deep dive thank you You're appreciate welcome. that daily double number three is in the law at 1600 level Nisa finds it she's at 3600 brian's up to 13,000. alicia's at 5200 she wages 2000 I would say, I mean, at this point, bet it all. Get as high as you can. Yeah. The clue is the 1970 law that ties different crimes into a pattern that can be prosecuted ties four words into this acronym. And she does not know. She guesses what is shrug, 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 and shrug. I like it. But that is RICO. Yeah. I do not know what that stands for. I racketeering and something. Okay. Got it. Uh, the Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act. Mm. Okay. I just Googled it. But like that that term comes up if you watch like The Sopranos or like shows like that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Any like organized crime stuff. You'll come across that term. Not that I managed to remember it while I was watching this episode, but I was like, oh, yeah, I remember hearing that. 
So at the end of the double jeopardy round, Brian's in a lock position again with 14,200. Alicia's at 5,200. Tanisa is at 1,600. The final jeopardy category is the movies. And the clue is centenarian ceramic artist Beatrice Wood helped inspire one of the main characters and the narrator of this film from the 1990s. This was filmed before the recent events recent events <laughs> yes so just just some bad timing or good timing either way it, it was uh -huh. a coincidence however you feel about it it is mm -hmm. it is just happenstance Denise tried what is ed wood is that is that a i don't know i feel like it would have been too easy if they had wood in the clue you know that's a that's a tim burton movie from 1994 i'm not sure what the connection she's trying she's making there is but you know I mean, beatrice wood is in there I yeah know. oh yeah, yeah yeah okay sorry I, I see that now she waited 400 so she'll drop down to 1200 alicia tried what is toy story not sure what connection she's making there but you know better to write something than nothing and maybe there may be something about this that like connected with toy story for her i don't know she waited 1500 so she'll drop down to 3700 and i i love brian's guess he tried he, he saw he saw a ceramic artist and went for yes. what is ghost. ghost i love it that is great it's great thing it's incorrect but it's great thinking. Wildly incorrect. <laughs> yeah. He's wagered 23-23, dropping him down to 11,877, but he was in a lock position, so he is still the winner. And Titanic is what we were looking yes. for. This centenarian ceramic artist inspired the character of Rose in Titanic. Indeed. Ghost, though. Great. <laughs> good. Very good. Great. Loved like, it. like, take the toehold you can get. Absolutely. He got he got to a 1990 movie featuring ceramics. Yes. Right? Like, Love brilliant. It. Love it. And so on Friday, we have the contestants Elena DeToro, a public relations specialist from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Courtney Johnston, an attorney from Denver, Colorado, two Denver area people this week. Mm -hmm. And Brian White. A senior regulatory compliance analyst originally from Santa Maria, California, whose two-day cash winnings total $32,007. Jeopardy round categories are Venn Diagram Intersections, Welcome to the Big Urban Area, Business, Numbers in the News, Sports Rookies, and Compound Words. Mm -hmm. My older daughter, when she was in preschool and they learned what compound words are, she decided that she was going to ask us every possible combination of words if that's an actual word or not. <laughs> so we had a lot of fun just hearing her mash up new compound words. Although if we spoke German, I think it just would all be correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just new words, just creating new words. Yep. Did she happen across any actual compound words? Yeah, I'll, like a, a good amount, I think fish bowl was one that she thought of and came back to a number of times i don't this was a while ago so i don't quite yeah. remember but but yeah I, I just remember it was a it was a ton of fun that's great i appreciate the venn diagram intersections category mm -hmm. and it was a also, fun one. yeah it was and, and the jeopardy writers understand how a venn diagram works because 
I sometimes come across Venn diagrams where the, like the creator of the Venn diagram didn't really understand how a Venn what? diagram is supposed to work, and, yeah. and it makes my eye twitch. Do you um, have an example? I, I'm trying to come up with an example that I don't have an example. I'm it's, sorry. No, it's fine, but it's hard to like. It's hard to come up with a non-example. You know? But anyway, Venn diagram intersections was good. We had U.S. states and ex-Soviet republics. Brian got that one. That's Georgia. Uh, mm -hmm. Snow White's Dwarfs and Billboard number one hit songs at the six hundred dollar level. You got to go at that from the from the Snow White's Dwarfs side yeah. because <laughs> there's just too many number one hit songs to figure it out. But it was a triple stumper. It's it's happy. Yeah, I thought that was particularly tricky because even if you're going through all seven dwarfs, like that's more than one dwarf a second, and you have to think of a song, right? Or just take a guess. Mm hmm. I didn't think of it in time. I was like. Not Doc, not Dopey. Right. Not uh, Grumpy. Bashful? Bashful yeah. is home? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty low totals overall in this round. And playing along at home, I also had an uncharacteristically low total. So either I had the same weak spots as the contestants, or maybe it was an especially tricky board. Mm hmm Yeah, I thought it was. There were some that were a bit more specific than I think we're used to in a Jeopardy round or... A little bit more niche. Daily Double number one comes up in Welcome to the Big Urban Area. At the $800 level, it's picked number 11, and Brian finds it. He's at 3200 at this point, with Courtney at negative 1000 Elena is at zero. He wagers all of it, and he gets the clue. Due south of Egypt, this capital with about 6 million people began as an Egyptian army camp in 1821. He tries what is Addis Ababa. It's a solid guess given Jeopardy's penchant for talking about Ethiopia. Um, mm -hmm. They're looking for Khartoum here. Yeah. Yeah. Do South. Well, I guess Addis Ababa is, it's kind of East. It's not Do South. Yeah. I, I can never keep a map in my head. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Brian's recovered back up to 2,200. Courtney's at 1,200. Elena's at zero and the double jeopardy categories are historic greats serenity now science <laughs> and nature let's get down with down in quotation marks popeye and the sailor man we didn't also, have any fun yeah. popeye tie-ins beyond the category titles i was like maybe they can work spinach to the board somewhere that would be fun yeah yeah alas it was not yeah this was also a tough board for the contestants. Mm -hmm. They had some lost, lost money on some incorrect responses, like the $2,000 clue of historic greats. Jews have warm, fuzzy feelings for this great Persian who released them from captivity in Babylonia. D do they? I'm not I, sure if they do. I don't know. I've never been in a position like that. But like, if you are enslaved and then someone's like, hey, you can just go. Probably you're not like, oh, we love you. Probably you're like, cool, peace. Like, I don't want to ever see you again or talk about you. Yeah. Still did have us enslaved. Anyway, yeah. that's Cyrus the Great. Brian guessed who is Darius. And Elena guessed who is Nebuchadnezzar. Cyrus the Great. I don't remember the exact lineage, but I believe it went Cyrus, then Darius, then Xerxes, if I recall correctly which then connects us to 300, which is always which a connection. is always the goal. Yeah. 
there's some like laudatory sections of the book of Isaiah about Cyrus the Great. Hmm. I'm not sure if that counts as Jews having warm, fuzzy feelings, but you know, oh, maybe. Yeah. Um, Nobody knew the $1,600 level of the sailor man. The irascible Captain Haddock is from this Belgian's Tintin stories. That is Hergé. I loved those yeah. Tintin books. Do you? I did. I did. Loved hmm. past tense. They are hmm. full of racial stereotypes. Yes. Yes, they are. <laughs> yeah. Which, so... if you aren't aware of those and you don't, you don't realize that those are, then yeah, I guess. Yep. Yeah. Love them. Mm-hmm. Yikes! On bikes, looking back, but <laughs> still, still worth knowing. Hergé, the the Belgian cartoonist of mm-hmm. the Tintin books, among others. I I assume among others, probably he did other stuff. I would guess, uh, yeah. right? Yeah. We also had a triple stumper in the Popeye category at the $800 level. A Dungeons & Dragons computer RPG from 1991 is called Eye of the This. Also the name of a monster watching you there. And that's the Eye of the Beholder. Nobody even took a guess. It made total sense once I heard it, but I I did not know. If you're just trying to think of a monster name, you're going to be like Eye of the what? Yeah, I get it. But the Beholder is a monster with a bunch of eyes. And they're very terrible mm. if you ever play Dungeons and Dragons. Okay. They're really fun if you're the one running the game, and they're really not fun if you're the one playing the game. Now my brain has shifted to Gloom Hands from Tears of the Kingdom. Have you heard about the Gloom Hands? I've not heard about the Gloom Hands. <laughs> <laughs> they're monsters in Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, and they're a collection of hands on like creeping like nice subst- and the and the hands all have eyes in the palms Ooh, like and the pan's labyrinth yeah sort of like that except that it's just like a little forest of hands that like slithers along the ground and then that the hands grab you and it's so sweet it's very unsettling that's awesome i love that kind of like eldritch horror thing yeah amazing <laughs> well You'll like Tears of the Kingdom. I will. Because it's I got will. Those creepy, <laughs> I'll see those hands coming hands. and I'll be like, yes, get closer hands. Let me see you. <laughs> I will die so many times. Uh, all right. Daily Double number two is back in the historic greats category at the $1,200 level. Pick number three. This is where they started in the round and they just went down it. Elena found it. She is at 800. Brian's at 2,600. Courtney's at 1,200. She wagers a thousand she could have wagered two thousand but she only wages a thousand gets a clue frederick the great brought this kingdom into european ascendancy it's no longer around though i mean it's no longer around as an independent kingdom but elena got it correct with what is prussia yep and daily double number three is the second to last clue of the round pick number 29 at the two thousand dollar level of the sailor man brian finds this one he's at eighty two hundred with Courtney at 4,000 and Elena at 4,600. He wagers 1,100 and he gets the clue. Lord Drinian is captain of this title vessel in a book by C.S. Lewis. And he gets it right. He must've listened to my deep dive. Must have. Maybe, maybe he knew it other some other way. Some um, other way. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Anyway, it's the Dawn Treader. He knows it's the Dawn Treader. So he picks up 1100 more right before Final Jeopardy. Yep. So going into Final Jeopardy, Brian is at 9300 Courtney's at 4000 Elena's at 5400 She got herself back in the game. And the Final Jeopardy category is National Anthems. 
The clue is the name of this country's national anthem translates as His Majesty's Reign, and its lyrics come from a thousand-year-old poem. Courtney guessed what is France. That is incorrect, and she wagered 38.10, so she drops down. Elena guessed what is Japan, which is correct. Apparently it is Kimigayo. I don't I don't think I would recognize Japan's national anthem if I heard it. And she wagered 4,100, moving her up to 9,500. And Brian guessed what is Norway, and that is incorrect, and he wagered 1,600. So Elena is the next champion. That's right. So that brings us to the end of the week. Some good games of Jeopardy, some changes of champions. And this is the point in the show where we remind you that we have a Patreon. It is patreon.com slash potent potables. You can go there to support us financially if you deem it proper. It just helps us be able to, you know, make the payments on things like hosting and domain and editing software subscriptions, because apparently everything has to be a subscription now. But if you are already supporting us financially, we greatly appreciate it. Every time we do anything, I think about how it's coming from, you know, you listeners supporting us. So that means a lot. Mm-hmm. And if you're thinking about doing it, we encourage you to go to patreon.com slash potent You can find some exclusive content on there as well. In fact, I have it open right now so that I remember to put the quiz questions up this week. Mm, I and forgot last week. A responsible boy right now. <laughs> and Speaking of responsibility, if you do feel responsible for other people in this world and you want to do something to help them, we encourage you to check out the show notes because there are some groups there who could use support in the work that they do. Mm -hmm. Emily, what am I talking about this week? That's a great question. Are you talking about Titanic, either the vessel or the movie? I'm not talking about Titanic, either the vessel or the movie. Although now that you mention it, that probably would have been a really good topic. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Are you talking about Zanzibar? I'm not talking about Zanzibar. That was up there. It was one of my top choices. Okay. How about Johannes Kepler? That was also one of... I kind of vacillated between a few, but I ended up going with, from the Tuesday game, What Are You Made Of? The $800 level. Thor Heyerdahl's Kantiki Raft, Logs of This Wood, Balsa Wood. I'm just talking about Balsa Wood. No, I'm talking about Kantiki. <laughs> I believed you for a second about Balsa Wood. I was like, well, okay. Yeah, into Balsa. No. Yeah, I figured like Kantiki has come up on Jeopardy a number of times. We've mentioned it pretty much every time it comes up. I mention it every time it comes up because when I was in sixth grade, we had like different reading groups for people, for kids at different levels. And you know, I was in the top group and our teacher had us read Contiki, which I don't know if you've read it. I have not. It is dry and it is difficult to read. I think it is a higher level than, I mean, obviously like she was putting us at above a sixth grade level, but it was a hard book to read as a sixth grader. Mm -hmm. Um, Hmm. But it has stuck with me my whole life because I remember that. And I remember how like, very difficult it was. But we'll talk about Kantiki a little bit, mostly about the expedition, a little bit about Thor Heyerdahl, and then just a little bit about like, you know, where it is in popular culture. Nice. So when we talk about Kantiki, what we're talking about, it could refer to a couple of things. There are actually a, a, a number of things. It could be a computer system from 1980s Norway. It could be an album by 
the, the rock band, I guess rock band Cotton Mather, but all of that <laughs> kind of like it's yeah, it's it all kind of goes back to the Heyerdahl expedition though. It's all kind of like paying homage to that or like a reference to that. And so the expedition was called Kantiki and the raft itself was also called Kantiki. So in the the general overview is in 1947, Norwegian explorer and writer Thor Heyerdahl and a crew of uh, well four other Norwegians and a Swede built a balsa wood raft in Peru and sailed it across the Pacific to Polynesia to prove that that could have happened back in the day to, you know, to, to prove that that was a possibility as a historical like source for people. So the crew, like I said, it had six men on it, five of whom were Norwegian. And then one was a Swede. They were led by Thor Heyerdahl, who was born on October 6, 1914 and died April 18th, 2002. Kantiki is kind of the the big thing that he was known for, although he, he did some other things. He actually had another expedition later on that I'll talk about. He had a number of writings that he wrote either about exploration or as an ethnographer. He also had specializations in zoology and botany. So he, he was just, you know, he was an explorer and scientist. The raft itself the main body was composed of nine balsa tree trunks. So they went down to Peru. They went in, they got like help from the Peruvian government and the local like dock workers in Lima. They gathered these supplies. They built this raft, nine balsa tree trunks up to 45 feet long, two feet in diameter. And they used hemp ropes to, to lash them together. They did cross pieces of balsa they did pine splashboards on the bow, as well as centerboards, and then they made an A-frame sail out of mangrove wood, and behind that was a cabin of bamboo that was about 14 feet long and 8 feet wide, and like 4 to 5 feet high, and they used banana leaf thatch. And then they also had a steering oar that was 19 feet long. It's a really long oar made of mangrove wood and had a blade made of fur wood so they the purpose of like i said the raft was to build it as though they were ancient people or like people back before modern technology to see if a seaworthy vessel could be made and then sailed across the pacific now the reason that Heyerdahl wanted to do this and I, i'll get a little bit more into this later i think but he had a hypothesis and he was not the only one that the people of the Polynesian islands of the Pacific islands were descended at least in part from people who came from South America. And so he was attempting to prove that theory. Now that was kind of a controversial idea at the time. And since then it has more and more become like essentially not accepted, but he wanted to prove that this could be. So that's why they did this. That's why they set out. So on the 28th of April, 1947, they left from Callao, Peru. It was tugged out 50 miles away from the coast just to avoid like coastal traffic. Cause obviously this raft that that's not super steerable. If it got in the way of an actual ship, it would just like, they just die. Right. So they took him out outside of the, the coastal traffic and got him going on the Humboldt current. 
they encountered on July 2nd, they kept very, very detailed notes, logs, journals, everything, because this was also a, a scientific expedition as well. Part of the reason they were able to do this was they got a lot of private funding as well as support from the United States Army. And so part of what they were doing on this voyage was testing the durability of, of different equipment. So like the radio they carried, they had an amateur radio that they used to send out signals that were picked up by people in South America and North America. And then those were forwarded on to you know governments and everything, if only to make sure that they knew that the expedition was still going well and they didn't need a rescue, but also to test the capabilities of uh, this radio equipment on the seas. So on July 2nd, they ran into a rogue wave in the middle of the night. It was like, this is a notable thing in the, in the book and in the movie that came much later. There was a like quiet seas and then three abnormally huge waves in a row just like washed over the, the raft. And then it was just quiet again, just like out of nowhere. Weird. Yeah. And their, their first sighting of land was at the Pukapuka Atoll on July 30th. And on August 4th, the 97th day after departure, they reached the Angatau, where they made brief contact with the inhabitants of the island, but they were unable to land safely. So this actually was uh, really, really good for Heyerdahl because calculations made by him before they had set out indicated that 97 days was the minimum amount of time required to reach Tuamotos, which is an archipelago in French Polynesia with kind of a treacherous reef around it. And so that's kind of like where their calculations were expecting them to get. So they'd made, they'd made pretty good time. And on August 7th, the voyage ended when the raft struck a reef and was beached on an un- uninhabited islet in the Tuamotus near the Raroya. They traveled about 6,980 kilometers or 4,340 miles in 101 days. And so they spent a little bit of time on the island. They were greeted by men from a village on the nearby island who arrived in canoes. They were taken back to the native village where they were shown traditional dances and other festivities. And eventually the French schooner Tamara uh, came and salvaged the Kantiki and collected the crew. So that, like, that's, that's a quick overview of the voyage. You can read the book. The book is... It's, it's basically a synopsis of all of their logs. So there's the explanation of how the ship was built, the process they went through, why they were doing it. And then most of the book is their time on the sea, which describes how they survived. They carried about 275 gallons of drinking water in water cans, as well as a number of sealed bamboo rods. And so they were kind of testing... Like I said, the equipment, the efficacy of or the effectiveness of like this ancient water storage system, you know, the bamboo, they brought 200 coconut sweet potatoes, bottle gourds and other assorted fruits and roots, as well as U.S. Army field rations and survival equipment and tin food. So they were checking on the quality and utility of the provisions too. too. So they kept track of all that to report back to the U.S. Army. But as they went along, they learned how to catch fish and they had apparently for the most part from what i remember there was a little bit of time where they had some some difficulty but for the most part they were able to catch a lot of fish particularly flying fish mahi mahi yellowfin bonito and shark i remember being in sixth grade and being like they caught a shark and they ate it 
oh, that's so cool. But apparently, you know, there are lots of different types of shark. Yeah. So like that's that's basically the voyage. There were other expeditions later that were kind of like recreations of Kantiki or similar in venture. The Seven Little Sisters was a raft that William Willis sailed from Peru to American Samoa in 1954. He sailed a good 2,200 miles further than Kantiki. And then later he rafted even farther than that from South America to Australia with a metal raft. There was the Kantuta, in which Czech explorer Edward Ingris attempted to recreate the Kantiki expedition on a balsa raft. First attempt led to failure. I uh, built a new one in 1959, and the second expedition was a success. He was able to cross to Polynesia. There's Tahiti Nui, which a French seafarer, Eric de Bichop, commissioned a project to build a Polynesian raft in order to cross the Pacific Ocean from Tahiti to Chile, which was contrary to the Hyerdahl crossing. Uh, when near the Juan Fernandez Islands in, of Chile in 1957, the raft was in a poor state and they asked for a towing and it had to be abandoned. So they mostly made it. They nearly made it all the way to Chile. And then Tahiti Nui 2 uh, was the same group of people, but they built it in Chile and they sailed toward the Marquesas. Although the raft began to sink and they built a, thir- a new raft out of the parts of the old raft, like on the ocean, as this was sinking, they took the parts that were still floating and built a new raft, but that ran aground in Rakahanga Atoll and Eric de Bishop died there. There's the Tongaroa expedition of 1965, which crossed the Pacific Ocean and managed to actually make it past the Tuamotus Reef. And then there was Tongaroa in 2006, recreated the Kantiki voyage. This was led by another Norwegian. And Olaf Heyerdahl, the grandson of Thor Heyerdahl, was on that expedition. There's also a, a group called Las Balsas that attempted to cross as a group. And they were successful in 1973. There was Antiki in 2011, which sailed across the Atlantic Ocean from the Canary Islands to the Bahamas or at least that was the goal. They got stuck in San Martin and then eventually made it to Eleuthera in the Bahamas. And then finally, Kantiki II had a crew from many nations and attempted to sail two rafts from South America to Polynesia and then back. They were successful in getting there and they got to Easter Island, but the rafts did not complete the return. Mm. I mentioned the book in 1948, Thor Heyerdahl, wrote and published the book, The Kantiki Expedition by Raft Across the South Seas. That's the book that I was talking about. There was a documentary film made in 1950 called Kantiki about it, and it won the 1951 Oscar for Best Documentary Feature. And Kantiki was also a 2012 Norwegian movie, historic, like historically dramatized, and it is the highest grossing film or it was the highest grossing film of 2012 in Norway, and it's the country's most expensive production to date. Oh. There are other places that it comes up in, in popular culture as well, like I mentioned. But I'm going to go back to the reason and the like controversy around it. So Heyerdahl had this belief in Eurocentric hyperdiffusion. So he, he believed that there was a population of people in the islands who came from Asia originally, but also there was a group of people that he called the Tiki people. And he believed that they were white bearded men 
who had like historically come across the Atlantic, he had an idea that ancient Egyptians sailed from Morocco across the Atlantic and populated parts of Central and South America. And then those people were, they were forced into Tijuanaco and they became the ruling class of the Inca empire by like 500 CE. And then they set out to voyage across the Pacific ocean. And he claims that the Maui on Rapa Nui were more like reminiscent of pre-Columbian Peru than any Polynesian designs. And there's a like an Easter Island myth about the people called the Hanau Epe and the Hanau Momoko, that there was like a conflict between these two people. And he latched onto that as like, well, one of those people were the white bearded men from South America and the others were the inferior people who were there originally. Yeah. So his his whole attitude was basically that like non-white, you know, stone age people with no math couldn't possibly cover that kind of distance and colonize those islands. However, pretty much everyone, like at this point, we know that's not true. There is like genetic studies have found that there's a small bit of South American like ancestry among like Polynesian people in general that probably took place. It, it got like mixed in around like 1150 to 1200 CE. So it is possible that South Americans did cross the Pacific. Like it, it mm-hmm. you know, Contiki shows that it could be done. It is possible that that happened and some people intermarried. However, going beyond that to say like, also those people came from the Mediterranean and were like inherently superior. And like all of that is like absurd, especially because we know about the Austronesian expansion, which is also known as the out of Taiwan model was a large scale migration occurring around 1500 to 1000 BCE coming out of Indochina kind of, you know, from Taiwan, people just spreading out. And we see the development of like the outrigger canoes and the catamarans and like the kind of sophisticated sea faring that we know of with Polynesian like history. And one of an important ship to mention with, with this kind of like knowledge is the Hokulea, which is a, a performance accurate Wa'akaulua, a double hold voyaging canoe. This is a like a modern ship. It was launched in 1975 by the Polynesian Voyaging Society, and it took a, a trip from Hawaii to Tahiti using exclusively traditional navigational techniques. So it had no modern equipment. Notably, the Heyerdahl expedition still used like charts and sextants and everything because they figured like the way that we navigate isn't important. We're just trying to prove that it could have been done. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, people could have made a raft and got on the Humboldt current and got across the ocean. But this, the Hokulea is like an attempt to prove like this is a way that people truly did travel and were able to do it. And that expedition actually led to a resurgence of like interest among young Polynesian and Hawaiian people in voyaging and canoe building and non-instrument navigation. And so we kind of have that to thank. And that, that expedition was partially in response to this, this theory that like Polynesian people couldn't possibly have done that themselves. Right. Mm -hmm. 
so yeah, I th- that's kind of the information I have about Kantiki and kind of the context around it. Well, this has been very informative because I really only, I, I knew most of the Pavlovs, but really only the Pavlovs, very little actual context. So it was, it's been great to, to get some of that and to fill in the gaps. Thank you. You are very welcome. All right. You ready for a quiz? Of course I'm ready for a quiz. It's not themed. It's just each question is kind of related to a thing from the deep dive, sort of. So here we go. Question one. Heyerdahl had a theory that ancient Egyptians crossed the Atlantic from Morocco, made their way across South America, and eventually traveled from Peru to Polynesia. He used similarities between structures and artifacts to support his rather racist idea, but I suppose it is still more reasonable than what alliterative theory, which takes up an unreasonable amount of history channel programming. Oh, I don't think I know the alliterative theory that takes up a lot of history channel programming. What I'm looking for is like a, a, a theory as to why different civilizations across the world like ancient civilizations have similarities in their, you know, theologies and their, their buildings and their whatevers. I think it's something about aliens, but I'm not sure what the alliterative part is. Alien something. Do you, you need the second word there? I, I guess because it's yeah. alliterative. Yes. It's alliterative alien. I was going to say invasion, but that's just another vowel. That's an I. Alien. Correct. That is an I. Attack. Doesn't sound quite right, because alien. Am- I, I don't know what the theory is called. I'm going to say alien ambassadors. No, that's a good guess. It's just the ancient alien theory. Oh, okay, cool. I um, mean, you know, that's kind of dumb. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, man, I don't even know if the History Channel is still on, but there was a time when like half the shows on there were like ancient aliens. Did aliens? I mean, it's basically what Stargate is based on, but like, no, it's like aliens came and that's where we get all of the, the pantheons of gods or these, you know, creatures that live in the sky that kind of look like people, but kind of don't. And they visited everyone and you can see it. Ah. So, yeah. I mean, who knows? Maybe, you know, maybe it is true. Yeah. Mm, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Probably not. All right. <laughs> all right. Yeah. All right. We, so we missed ancient alien. Question right. two. Heyerdahl's theory was ignorant of the sailing and navigating prowess of Polynesian peoples. What word in English is used for those voyagers? To appeal to your Disney mom side, Moana learns how to be one from Maui. Oh. What are they called? The word isn't coming back to me. Oof. Another clue that comes to mind for me is in Civilization V. <laughs> I don't know if that would help you. I've played a tiny bit of Civilization IV, but never any Civilization V. Okay, um, I, don't, yeah. I don't know if it's even in four, but Yeah, well, I haven't played very much four anyway, sure. so it was a long time ago also. I'm trying to see if I can think back through Moana and let the word come to me, but it just may not be in my brain right now. Yeah, I've got nothing. I'm going to pass. Okay, those are wayfinders. Oh, yeah. Okay. Wayfinding. That is the the term for that type of non-instrument navigation. Yeah. 
and then the, the wayfinders are the the polynesian voyagers mm-hmm. okay all right i'm gonna recover Yikes. okay i i'm looking at these and i'm like maybe maybe these are all equally difficult i hope not okay question number three balsa is the sole member of the okroma genus native to the americas 95 percent of balsa production happens in ecuador which none of that is relevant to the actual question i'm asking fittingly Given this deep dive, balsa is the Spanish word for what object? Okay. I was about to say boat, and then I remembered like a children's song with some Spanish lyrics, and that boat is barca. I'm going to guess that balsa is raft. And that's really good because it is raft. Yay. Nice. Good reasoning. Yes. Balsa is Spanish for raft, which makes sense that you'd use it for a raft. Yep. Uh, Question four. All right. You're at 10 points. You're on the board. Okay. All right. Question four. One of the Norse god Thor's many exploits was his battle with Jormungandr, the great serpent that encircles Midgard or Earth. Jormungandr is often depicted as an Ouroboros, meaning he is doing what, which allows him to surround the entire world. Oh, he's eating his own tail. He is, yeah, eating or biting his own tail. Biting, yes. That is, that is correct. That is correct. I was going to word it differently and I asked for Ouroboros, but then I was like, that's really, if that's either you know it or you can't reason that one out. I would have known it. I figured you would have. I feel like we've used that term in, in discussion before, but also I was like, I'll make it a little yeah. little simpler. Ouroboros yes. can have a little Ouroboros as a treat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yes, Jormungandr is also known as the world serpent in Norse mm-hmm. mythology. Uh, all right. You have 20 points. Question Yay. five. The Kantiki expedition was not the first collaboration between Norway and Sweden. In fact, the two were one unified nation from 1814 until 1905, though they maintained independent legislatures. Through the Treaty of Kyle and other political machinations, the royal family of Sweden-Norway was House Bernadotte. The matriarch of that family was Desiree Clary, who had once been engaged to what emperor? Hmm. I'll say before he was an emperor, she was engaged to him. Okay. I have no idea. My brain keeps heading for Russia, but emperor doesn't sound like, like I don't think we would use emperor for a czar, which I think is what it was at the time, right? All of the history has melted out of my brain. (laughs) Yeah. Hmm. I'm struggling to like come up with a guess that I that I like even feel good about. So I think yeah. I'm just gonna pass. I think I'm just gonna let it go by. Okay, the emperor to know from 1803 to 1814 would be Napoleon. Oh, mm. of course it would. Yeah. Ah! <laughs> I tried. I tried to lean into the French. Oh, the French pronunciations were supposed to. Yeah. Mm, right. Oh um, yeah. I, I realized. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that I didn't know anything about that until like I was just like looking up like oh other things between Norway and Sweden, and I came across this whole history of like the unification of these two under one ruling family because 
they didn't want to be invaded by Napoleon, so they just kind of agreed to let him place a like a new like prince in charge of the two like it's wild it's it's really it's it's a lot of history that i never knew about and desiree clary was engaged to napoleon before he met josephine and then he met josephine and dumped desiree for Mm. josephine yeah which actually things i think worked out a little bit better for desiree because she just got to like be queen of sweden for like her whole life all right you're at 20 points. Oof. The final category is not a Pacific crossing. All right. Well, this has not gone great for me. Not your fault. Good questions. I guess I'll, I'll hold back one point. I'll wager 19. Ooh, ooh, for a fun number at the end. <laughs> All right, here we go. Final question. Selling over 72 million units through five titles... What social simulation game from Nintendo places players in a rural village populated by anthropomorphic animals such as Mr. Resetti, K.K. Slider, and a hyper-capitalistic Tanuki? Not a Pacific crossing. All right. The game that I'm thinking of five titles doesn't seem right but everything else i think fits except that i don't know enough characters or you know to like know if the characters fit but i think this is not a pacific crossing but animal crossing yes it's animal crossing yes nice the hyper capitalistic tanuki is tom nook who everybody knows. That's why I, I didn't I was, say his name. Yeah, I was I was like, but he didn't say Tom Nook. <laughs> yes. Because that's a dead giveaway. Everyone yeah. knows Tom Nook. <laughs> that's true. Um, I, yeah. But yes, there are five titles. Since the Nintendo 64, there have been. Oh, I had uh, no idea there were Animal so Crossings. many titles. In the Neither did I until I looked this up. Series. Well, there oh, you go. Yeah. Oh, New Horizons the, is the one that everybody's like currently the, on about. Right. Yes, it is the newest that... one. Yes, New Horizons. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Apparently, Mister Resetti used to berate players if they f- like attempted to quit their game without saving. <laughs> but since they introduced autosave, he has a new job as I don't know something, but that's not his job anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Anyway, yeah, thirty-nine points. Not bad. I realize I made a rather tricky quiz. So, oh, it was a good quiz, but I did. <laughs> do so well with it but no a tricky quiz is a good thing yeah this was this was fun if if humbling (laughs) anyway thank you so much kyle for podcasting with me thank you yeah and thanks listeners for listening to our podcast make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts leave a rating or review if you have a minute to do that if you want to check out our patreon it's patreon.com slash potent potables and if you have friends who like jeopardy let them know about us you can all find us on Facebook at Potent Potables, on Twitter at Potent Potables 1. Our email address is potentpotablescast at gmail.com, and our website is potentpod.com. And we'll be back next week with more Jeopardy, I think, and another yeah. deep dive in quiz. So until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker. Bye.